0: Hey, folks, you're listening to Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sitto. Today's guest is Levitt Pavilion Denver founder, Chris Zacher. Hey there, welcome back to another episode. Hope all is well with all of you. I hope you had a great week. Um... My guest today, I really wanted to, as as things are starting to open back up, as vaccinations are starting to happen, um, I, I really wanted to feature somebody who is making a big difference in my local um, music scene. I know I feature artists and people in the industry all over the place, but I wanted to chat with somebody who's making a big difference um, here in Denver and kind of get his perspective on things opening back up um, and just mm-hmm. venues and the relationship between venues and artists and... Um, you know, all kinds of things like that. And I even learned a little bit about nonprofits and fundraising. So there, you know, there's a lesson in there for everybody today. Um, but Chris, um, when he first moved to Colorado, um, worked with City Park Jazz between 2006 and 2014. He was a treasurer, a vice president, and president. Um, and then in 2012, he founded Levitt Pavilion, Denver. And if you're not familiar with Levitt Pavilion, there's several of them around the country Um and we have, we have one here in Denver, Levitt, Denver. Um, it's at Ruby Hill Park, which is actually very close to my house. And they put on about 50 free concerts a year. And they're getting big artists in here. Um, it's not, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're getting people out to the shows. And they always have a local opener, too, uh, which is a really great thing for the community. They get a Colorado artist opening the show um, for most of these events as well. So he's been doing that for, I guess, almost 10 years now. In 2013, he was recognized as one of Denver's 40 under 40 for his commitment and leadership to Denver's nonprofit community. Um, He's been named uh, one of the foremost influential people in Denver um, by AXS.com. He's now a lecturer at the University of Colorado, Denver, Working in the College of Arts and Media, and I've said this before, it's crazy all the CU Denver connections I run into every time I talk to somebody that's in Denver or in the Colorado music scene, they have some connection with CU Denver. I do. I'm a 2013 alumni. He also serves as the chair for the National Independent Venue Association, NEVA, in Colorado, along with sitting on several NEVA committees. Um, and is a member of the Arapaho Community College Music Audio Technology Advisory Committee. Oh my gosh, that's a tongue twister! Um, so he's he's done all kinds of things from accounting to budgeting, um, contracting, community outreach, fundraising. Did I say fundraising already? I might have. Anyway, he does tons of things for the local community, um, you know. And and so it's great to chat with him about um, what venues are doing right now and what's going on in the industry what levitt's all about a little bit about his career um and what got him into what got him into the music biz so um i think that's all i have to say about it let's just jump in um to the interview this is my conversation with chris zacker Folks, if you can support in a monetary way, this podcast is now on Patreon at patreon.com/slash/andysidow for as little as three dollars. Excuse me, for as little as three dollars a month, um, you can help support both my artist career and my podcasting, and I put up exclusive content for both um, on my Patreon channel. Last week, for instance, I had Mickey Raphael on the podcast who uh, has been the touring harmonica player for Willie Nelson for many years. He's also played with Jason Isbell and uh, Chris Stapleton, Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, and a bunch of others. And along with the Middle Class Rockstar episode, I also have a second conversation with him that is only on Patreon. We get into some more personal things with that conversation and uh, chat about some of the finer points of harmonica playing and things like that. So if you want to check that out, check out the Patreon page. If you can't support in a monetary way, no worries. Please rate and review. Give it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really is a huge, huge help. If you haven't listened in yet, be sure to check out Chris K's Colorado Playlist. It airs on 26 FM frequencies across the state weekly. And an eight-minute segment of these episodes of Middle Class Rockstar get aired on Chris K's Colorado Playlist. He features uh, local Denver artists and features my podcast, which is pretty cool. Be sure to check it out. Quick thanks to our sponsors, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. Chris, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it.
0: Um, so you're involved in in all kinds of different things here in the Colorado community, but I I wanted to start off with a little background. Um, where'd you grow up, and how'd you first get into music?
1: Um, you know, I was uh, I grew up in St. Louis. I'm not I'm not really I'm not from there. I'm from Oklahoma, but um, didn't live there for all that many years, and and grew up in St. Louis and. Uh, when, um, when I was in high school, you know, I did what most people in the industry do. I, I worked on street teams and sold merch and went to as many shows as humanly possible. Snuck into a lot and hung out in the club scene there for a while. And, uh, you know, I, 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 don't think that I ever really thought it, if the music was really a pathway for me it wasn't something back you know i I graduated high school in 1992 so i'm 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 an old man now and uh you know it, it, it music wasn't live music especially wasn't what it is now in the 1990s you know that i think that's when it started to change but it wasn't there yet and so you know then i i went to college and i went to grad school and uh i worked in architecture and engineering um for an awful long time is running operations and stuff and uh worked for a real estate development firm and um was always just still popping around music from time to time and you know is a fan is is uh is a business person who saw you know opportunities to do cool things yeah. um and uh i i met my wife and and moved to denver in 2005 and um in 2006, uh, was asked, uh, from a friend of my father-in-law's that that called me up and said, hey, City Park Jazz is, is, uh, looking for, uh, a treasurer. And, um, my, I have a master's degree in finance and accounting. And I thought, oh, this, this would be really cool. I'll be able to give back to the community and be part of something kind of interesting and fun. And, um, uh, you know, the rest is history. I, I fell in love with it and, uh, completely switched career paths and, said hey you know um, do everything i can to make this work
0: yeah yeah and i was a...
1: like i was like 30 i think i was 31 30 31 when that happened
0: when you made the switch are, are you a cardinals yeah. fan unrelated
1: i am a huge cardinal fan and i know you're a baseball fan and we really appreciate you guys giving us 50 million dollars to hey. take uh take your third baseman away from you
0: and this has been an interview with Chris Zacker. Everybody, thanks so much. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. No, it's worse than that. I'm a Reds fan, so we're in the oh, we're, in, we're division rivals. We're,
1: we're division rivals, and uh, you guys, you guys were beating up us on us a little bit last week.
0: Yep, you know, I, it's early. It's early. Yeah, it's early. There'll be a few more. There'll be
1: a few you know, more. Baseball but... is a. It's 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 a like way too long yeah you know, what what do they pay 164 games or something like that
0: 162 games yeah it's a lot they, of games
1: I, I have this you know growing up in in like you know baseball heaven uh i was always the one that never paid attention until july because i didn't think baseball mattered before july. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so no, we'll see where it goes <laughs> that's fair that's fair i feel like it it matters until july because that's about as long as i can root for my teams before they're out of the playoff race most years but you know, that's fair, <laughs> but anyway, so you... at least
1: March shot doesn't own your team anymore. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Advantages there. It's a good, yeah. it's a good club this year, but um, so anyway, you moved to Colorado 30, 31 and you're doing something in the music industry, but it's only in the music industry so much as that it still relates to your degree. What was it about jumping in with City Park Jazz and said, hey, I actually want to go full throttle into the music industry.
1: Boy, you know, I don't know if there's ever a point where you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go full throttle into it. I, I think it's it, it's interesting. You know, I do a lot of interviews and, and uh, uh, not not me as the interviewee that happens, but also interviewing other people and I teach it at UCD and their their music program. And I'll bring in friends through the industry. And we always run through these stories. And so, I expected this to happen because it's usually usually how these things start. And you know, every path is different, and it's really hard to like look back and put the pieces together. You know, it's it it, it was uh, it was an exercise in, in saying yes and and I have this belief that you just always raise your hand and say yes, um, and that good things will happen from it. And sure um, I knew once the first time that we, I produced a live show there, we had like four, 4,000 people out or something. There's just so much energy around it that you don't get when you're, when you're four walled in a, in a cubicle or, yeah. you know, you, you know, I had an office at the time, but you know, even, even that mountain view, um, it, it only goes so far. It's only spectacular. The first week you sit in that office, you know, you still have right. to get in front of that computer and you're, you know, we were building shopping centers and stuff It's boring, just boring stuff. It's, you know, you only get one chance at life. Um, Why be miserable at it? And I think the answer is a lot of people, you make a lot of money doing it, but you know, is money everything? And I I think I had to get to that point in my life. Is money everything? And what's really, you know, what's gonna bring satisfaction to me, you know, spiritually, emotionally um, for the rest of my life And, and music, music does that yep. bringing people together does that i mean it's it's cool to produce an event Yeah, <laughs> <like> well,
0: <laughs> absolutely and, and you've done a lot of them um yeah you know i know you worked with city park jazz for several years i think it was like 2006 or 7 through 2014 or something or 2012 mm-hmm. but you then uh founded levitt pavilion here in denver and i know there's a few others um across the country but you started this one Um, Yeah, with Chase, correct? What was the, you know, how did you decide to do that?
1: Well, I started it alone. Chase was actually, um, so in in, uh, 2012, I was on uh, a downtown Denver partnership urban explorations trip. So the the downtown Denver partnership or the DDP every year, um, they invite uh, city leaders to Uh, go on these trips to other cities that are doing cool things so that we can take lessons that we learn on these trips back to Denver and implement new things like the whole idea for uh protected bike lanes and increasing you know our, our bike highways throughout the city came from the exact same trip that Levitt came from and that was we went to Chicago in 2012 and um I was uh you know, we knew that we were gonna go to Millennium Park and we were gonna go visit all of kind of these outdoor park spaces where they were um, putting on shows. And um, I knew uh, a a few of our city council people and the mayor at the time. And we were in a room at uh, Ernst & Young on the top floor of this high rise, having a happy hour and uh, Mayor Hancock waved over uh councilman chris nevitt and said hey this is the guy you got to talk to and um chris said hey we've got this park um that nobody really knows about but it's the third largest park in denver's urban park system Uh, and there's a differentiation there because uh, the the city of denver owns a ton of parkland in the mountains and then they've got their urban parks their mountain parks and their urban parks and the urban parks are a hell of a lot bigger than yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, the mountain parks are a hell of a lot bigger than the urban parks, but we're right, right. like, hey, we've got this park and it's it's 84 acres and you know it's a stone's throw from Wash Park and it's right there in the heart of the city and nobody knows about it. And we've got to figure out some ways to activate this park in, in more purposeful ways so that it's not um you know a dangerous place to be anymore because at the time it wasn't the safest uh right. space in the city. Um, but, you know, in 2012, also, there's a lot of things happening. You know, Denver is is really coming into its own as a city. I mean, I, I don't think that most of the younger people here remember that, you know, Lodo was nothing in 2012. It was, right. um, you know, warehouses or boarded up buildings. And Union Station was just a place where you got on the train and maybe took a light rail, too. And it wasn't just wasn't what it is now and there were all of these conversations on you know how do we make this city a world-class city you know and this term city builders came out of it that i don't really like but (laughs) you know what do we do as people who live within these cities who have the ability to to change them and um nevitt was telling me about ruby hill and said hey we want to build an amphitheater there and there's a foundation that is potentially interested in it however These are like three-tiered public-private partnerships. And what we really need is somebody who understands music uh, architecture and the nonprofit world um, to partner with us on this. And uh, I think I told them no three times. Um, And then a few weeks later, um, they were gonna have a meeting on it and they invited me to, and uh, my wife and I were having a little staycation downtown and, I was like, yeah, this thing's tonight and they're talking about, you know, this amphitheater project, but you know, if they were doing it in City Park or if we did it in Civic Center Park, I'd be super interested, but I'm just not really sure about yeah. Ruby Hill. I don't know the area, nobody knows the park and it takes a long time to stabilize venues and do I really have this in me? And she was like, "Just go." So, I went to the meeting and I came out of it and I said, "All right, yeah, let's do this. I'm I'm game for it." And you know, the yeah. caveat was is, "Hey, we we're gonna give you this land that's worth millions of dollars to build your venue, but that's it. Like you've got to raise all of, all of the money to make it happen. And I've never raised that kind of money before. And I, okay. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that have raised that kind of money. When we talk about philanthropic dollars, you know, this is a we're 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 a five hundred one c three, so there's no invest there's no investment money in it in it. You can't. That's not legally allowed. Yeah. So I had to, you know, beg, star, borrow, steal from hundreds and thousands of people to to garner enough money to build the facility. And you know, at the end, we've got eight million dollars into it, and it worked.
0: And when and you say there's, it when you say there's no investment, that just means you're asking people for money and they're donating it to you. There's no, they're not going to make money off of it later. They're just donating yeah. it to it.
1: Yeah. There's no ROI. Like if you, if you gave me money to build this place, the, the investment was, is, is in the, is in the people in this community and in this music scene Yeah, and you're not going to get money out of it, but. The city is going to get so much more out of it and, and you know mm-hmm. there, there's a pitch behind it it's you know if you want to be a world-class city you got to have stadiums you have to have music venues you have to have bowling alleys and restaurants and these things that the corporations want to see when they want to either move a company to your city or they want to start a company in your city it's all these that it, it's valuable side items that uh, entice their employees to want to live here. And you know Colorado has a lot of that. We've got skiing and we've got camping and we've got whitewater rafting and yeah. climbing and stuff. But when you're in the urban core, what do you have within the urban core that people can utilize to um, entertain themselves when they're not in the mountains? And sure. uh, we don't, we didn't, we don't have any, this is the only amphitheater in denver proper Uh, red rocks technically is in denver but it's also realistically it's in morrison right um and it's it's hard to find land to build something like this in the urban corridor because the land is worth much more if you put a high-rise condo on it and thinking the capitalists that americans are of course that's what they're going to do if they find this land so it was it was a very very unique opportunity and if you look at most of the amphitheater projects that are happening around the United States, they're all on the perimeter of the suburban areas. They're not in those urban cores. So, you know, thought, wait, well, hey, not not many people get a chance to do this. Let's go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the shows are um, are so cool. And I, I, are they all free, or most of them are free um, to the public, right? Yeah, most.
1: Most are free to the public. Yeah. Um, we, we produce you know roughly about 50 free concerts a year, um, yeah. you know, give or take, and you know, I'm not sure that I'm going to get to 50 this year. Uh, I'm going to do my hardest, <laughs> but um, you know it's a little complicated with, with COVID-19, you know? yeah. and then we have a partnership with uh, Live Nation and we produce free events yeah. together, or paid events together. OK, um, with, with Live Nation, too. And we're, we're also doing some larger acts this year as uh, free events with Live Nation. So, yeah. you know, it's good to have partners that really care about this music
0: community as well. I've noticed, I mean, there's a you guys get a lot of name artists in there um, mm-hmm. and whether it be a Chuck Prophet or Greyhounds or whatever, you're getting artists in um, who are filling up clubs in Denver, um, yeah. paid offense. And it's really cool that you can bring those for free. How is it also with the donations and the fundraising that you're able to bring in all of those artists?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, whenever you do anything, when you run into nonprofit, you want to make sure that you have your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm praying on the fog today. You, you, you want to make sure that you're diversified in your income streams and, you know, in finding sustainable income streams that, um, you know, you can't look at like grants or donations as like a sustainable income stream. So, but F and B is a sustainable income stream. So once you kind of bucket these things out, you try to have like a third of your money come from each of these buckets to make it all, make it all come together where there's a little less risk on your end. But, you know, um, we, our budget on a yearly basis is, you know, anywhere between 1.6 million and 2 million um, for, for our free series. Uh, So it's, it's expensive to run. I mean, free is such a relative word. Um, And there's always misnomers like the the city and County of Denver are not um, uh, financial partners with us. You know, they're not giving us money on a yearly basis. So yeah, we, we use these, these angles to make that happen. And then every year we set an artistic budget and we work our contacts and, you know, we're constantly following artists and waiting for them to get to a certain level when they're ready to play this venue. And, um, it, so far it's worked out pretty well.
0: And I've noticed too, that there's almost always a local opener on the shows that have openers. It's a local opener. So you guys are doing a lot for, uh, your local Colorado music community as well.
1: Yeah. I had a, um, kind of a rule from the get-go that if we're going to do this for the for the community that we need to make sure that we're booking local artists and that we're paying local artists we're not expecting them to go out and sell vip tickets for their shows so they can make a hundred dollars you know there's there's a, there's a flat guarantee for them all and um you know the 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 more in step you are with your local music community um, the more they embrace you and the more your local musicians embrace you, the more national musicians are going to embrace you and you're going to be known as a place that's good to musicians. And that's what we should all be in this industry. Um, we're, we're in symbiotic relationships with the artists that play our stages. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I like to say that we're... You know, we're not music venues. We're all community gathering spaces. So how do we interact with that community when they're in our venue? And that's the patrons and the artists. How do we treat them? And are, are we bringing them along for the ride with us? Are we, are we just waiting for them to open their wallet? And, you know, you don't need a ticket. You don't need to open your wallet to be here, be part of the community. Right. And, and then we can showcase the the talent that we have in this town. And I don't have to tell you, um, yeah. talent's pretty deep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and speaking of, I guess, the relationship between artists and venues, um, I want to get into, um, and I'm sure you've talked about this a million times with people, but I want to get into a little bit, um, you know, everything that's happened with the pandemic and the venues and the artists, um, you know, and I know that you're uh, you're the board chair of the Independent Music Association here in Colorado. And you're also the the Colorado chair for the National Independent uh, Venue Association. Um, So you you do a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, you're knee deep in all of this with pandemic and how are we going to get out of this? And I was reading um, an article where you said that the average music venue is bleeding forty five thousand dollars a month. Right now. Yeah. Um, you know for venues especially these indoor venues um how do you see how do you see things going for them in the next few months i know that's that's unpredictable but you probably have some insight that uh, the average person doesn't
1: yeah you know well through Neva's through my work at neva um last year we were able to get the save our stages uh, act passed which uh, was initially a 15 billion dollar fund for independent venues. Um, It was renamed the uh, SVOG, Shuttered Venues Operators Grants. They added independent museums, independent movie theaters, um, and independent comedy clubs to that that bucket outside of just uh, independent music venues. Um, When the Biden administration uh, passed their relief package last month, an additional $1.25 billion was added to that. You know, we we are a hundred and I think it's a hundred and ten days since the SVOG Act was signed into law, and um, the applications still are not open. They tried to open them on April eighth, and uh, they had just a catastrophic failure with with links and uploading, and they had to shut the system down. And that should be opening back up sometime next week. Um, that act, uh, I, I say all of that because that's the act. That's the act that's going to save these venues. Um, they're yeah. going to be eligible to receive forty-five percent of their uh, two thousand and nineteen gross income uh, numbers, which are gross revenue numbers, um, earned revenue.
0: Yeah,
1: it's kind of a little punishing for nonprofits because we have contributed revenue and earned revenue and um you're not allowed to count your contributed revenue into that which kind of knocks us down a little bit on our overall award but you know the, the whole purpose of this thing was to save as many venues as we could save um are we going to save them all no um we we already haven't saved them all especially in this town you know we we lost tennyson's tap we lost three kings we lost jazzy jacks um we lost the merc uh we lost the pack um and these are you know the clubs that we've lost early on were the more vulnerable clubs that really depended heavily on this constant stream of of events um there are other clubs out there who are who are close they're on that verge of, of not being able to reopen so um I'm not, I'm, I'm getting to a longer answer for you, but yeah. I want to, you know, kind of dive through it all because it's, it's an important subject to think about that, you know, arts and culture is the third largest driver of the economy in the state of Colorado, producing uh, $1.9 billion a year in economic impact. Economic yeah. impact is not ticket sales, it's not merch sales, and it's not F&B sales. It's, it's the activity that takes place outside of the show. So restaurants, ride share, hotels, stuff like that. Um, So as we've gone through this, it isn't just music, the music industry and venues that have been driven down. The artists don't have a place to play. The venues haven't been open. The rideshare riders are not making what they were once making because there's no entertainment anywhere right now. Restaurants aren't making what they were making. Hotel bookings are down. So there's this trickle down effect whenever you have an industry that's so important to your overall economic health is is hampered as we have been as we move forward um things are starting to look like uh they're going to open up a little bit you know i'm I'm in um weekly conversations with the state and with cdphe and ddphe and and all of these uh powers that be that are kind of driving these reopening processes for the state and you know we're advocating for certain things you know we want to be careful we are in the middle of a pandemic um, that is killing people. And, uh, the, the first thing we have to do is get the pandemic under control. So the more vaccination, the more people that go and get vaccinated, the quicker the industry is going to return to some form of health. Um, this summer you're going to see, uh, I believe Red Rocks opens next week. Um, we're opening on May 14th, but that's it on the outdoor side. There's no series at Botanic Gardens this year. There's nothing at Hudson Gardens. Um, I believe AEG is going to produce uh, a small series down at um, Sculpture Park downtown. Um, But all of the indoor venues, the restrictions are such that the economics don't work to produce shows. So once they're able to apply for and receive this SVOG money, it's going to help them pay some of their back bills and keep their doors open until the fall when we really think things are going to start loosening up on the indoor side of things. So I'm thinking like, You know, if you would have asked me two months ago, I would have said probably November. Um, I I think now we're probably targeting more around September 1. Yeah. You'll really start to see indoor move.
0: And do you think you'll see some of these venues, not that they're replaceable, I'm not saying that at all, but these some of these venues that have closed, the Merck and the Tennyson Tap, do you think you will see them get taken over by by other venues? And not even necessarily in the same building, but do you think you'll see people opening up venues, um, or are we just going to have less of those for a while?
1: I think we'll have a few less, but that's not a problem here. You know, I, I'm sad that we've lost some of these places that we've lost, and um, especially when we look at our at our jazz scene. I mean, we don't have a lot of jazz venues left to begin with, and to lose a place like Jazz at Jacks, and then lose the Peck four months later, it's pretty. It, it, God, it's just awful. You know. Yeah. But um, I I don't think you're going to see a lot of new venues com- coming online. You know, my hope is is that we find out, I think, on Wednesday who um, who gets the mark from everybody who's submitted offers for it. And my hope is is that the winning team that got it um, isn't going to knock it down and turn it into condos. That it's going to remain a venue. We'll see. You know, yeah. um, I think what we really need to concentrate on right now is is reestablishing the venues that we have that are still in operation, and getting our, the, the population in this community to understand that we have great music that's born and bred right here. You know, you don't, if you're only going to a show once a year at Red Rocks, you're not supporting our local music community. There's lots of great clubs out there. If you want, you know, heavy metal, there's Herman's Hideaway. If you want punk or country, you go to high dive. I mean, there's these great clubs everywhere that not enough people go to. and, And we really have to, to Patronize these places and understand their importance to our overall health as a community.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and y- you know, yeah, yes, it'd be nice to see the pe- not just the musicians, but just average people looking to go out and do something on Friday night. Um, you know, why not go to the high dive? and see whoever's playing (laughs) you know
1: yeah i mean a pbr is only three dollars there so it's it's
0: yeah it's it's not
1: it's not like you're going to a big venue where the costs are so much that they're you know like mine where the alcohol prices and everything are high i mean there's there's a reason why all that happens but we have these clubs that are local clubs that produce local shows that are affordable and i think that's what i'm getting to is that you know when we look at music and and how we produce it and is it accessible to large swatches of our population from a cost standpoint, we don't really have a lot of that, but we have it in this community for people and you just have to look for it. It's there.
0: And do you think the relationship in general between artists and venues is going to change somewhat? I, I mean, we know through the years that there's always been a push pull between, uh, you know, artists and venue in a venue like Levitt Pavilion that's giving guarantees and getting local acts on with national acts, you know, is is doing God's work, in my opinion. But, um, you know, if you there's always been a little bit of edginess between between artists and venue. And I don't think anyone's in the wrong. Both are trying to survive, um, you know, and a lot of times artists confuse a gig versus a show a gig being a place where you're getting hired to entertain the people that are already there and a show being something where people are coming to see you. Um, but you know, so if, and it feels to me like over the last year, we've all sort of come together a little bit where you see these venues genuinely trying to help out artists and you see artists genuinely trying to help out venues. Um, do you see the relationship between the two changing at all long term?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think so. I, it, it it depends, you know, look, the music industry is really set up where you're kind of like baseball, go back to our original talk, you know, you got rookie ball, single, a double a triple a in the majors. And, and, you know, when you're on that major league level, you've got an agent that's doing all your work for you. So there is, there's not um, any relationship essentially between the venue and the artist it's between the it's between the venue or the promoter and the and and their management you know and then you get down to triple a and you might still be there but when you get to the double a and the rookie ball and the single a yeah um it's a little bit different and there is more of a relationship because those bands not all of them have management um, or they might have a buddy who manages them yeah um and you know I think it's important for the two sides to understand each other and where they're coming from and the economics of everything, you know, um, there's a, there's a value that's placed on every artist based off of certain metrics. How many people are they going to draw? You know, what's a ticket price that we can sell for in in my case, we're not selling tickets. You know, it's how many people can we draw does the crowd purchase, you know, a lot of F and B, um, can we make the numbers work? And if we can make the numbers work, it's pretty easy to come to an agreement on, on a gig. Now, you know, I can't speak too much to what has happened in the past and in other venues and other types of promoters and that, sure. but I can say that it's important as we move forward that talent buyers and venue owners and artists have a better understanding of each other's needs. And yeah. how, how the money flows and how it works. It's a business at the end of the day. Nobody's trying to screw anybody over. Yeah. Um, there There's some players in, in the music world, in this community and nationwide and internationally, who are just, they're just bad apples. They've got bad egos and uh, they're maybe not uh, as nice as they should be to people to make things yeah. happen. Or they can be threatening to them. If you don't play this venue, you won't play this venue, and then you won't play this venue, and you won't play this venue, and those kind of bullying tactics are they're, they're unnecessary. And right. uh, I try not to deal with those types of people. You know, I just want people to understand, artists to understand. Hey, there's pain points on both sides. Where do we find a comfortable median to make sure that it works? And you know, we're we're in a different position here at Levitt because if we we, we pay pretty well to everybody. And it's a flat guarantee. And, you know, do do, we want you to promote your show? We want you to invite your friends and family out. Um, but we're not expecting you to go sell tickets to the same 12 people that you had to sell them to for every other show you did this year.
0: Right. Right. (laughs)
1: Sure. I don't know if I answered your question there. No,
0: no, no. That's yeah. No, that's, that's great. And if, um, you know, I know we got to go in a second. So if, if there's one, um, takeaway. And, and I think you kind of answered er- it earlier, but if there's one quick takeaway that you'd give to music fans, um, something that they can do, um, to help out, to help out the community and to help out stages and, and artists over the next 12 months, what would that be?
1: Um, you know, if we, if we were talking six months ago, I'd tell you to go to save our stages.com and donate $10. But, um, while that's still important long-term, um, you go to shows see them live if you like a band don't just stream their music on spotify go to their website and buy their album they worked hard for that art um yeah. and they're getting a very small percentage of every spin uh on spotify so buy, buy their album it, it doesn't cost that much buy their merch um patronize our our local venues buy a beer when you're there um do your part to make sure that you're contributing because mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for a long time, people look at art as something that's just free. And, yeah. and, and there's, there's something that goes into that art that the, the person who's viewing it might not have inside themselves. So put a value to it. Yeah. You know, because it's valuable and our artists are valuable and they shouldn't be working three, four, five jobs <clears throat> to try to keep their lights on and the roof over their head. they're they're contributing members to our society and we have to we have to remember that and and that they're human beings take care of them
0: yeah yeah absolutely well thanks thanks so much for your time and if you would stay on the line with me for one quick sec but i want to say bye to the audience and i appreciate your time okay right on chris thanks so much for joining me that was a lot of fun i enjoyed catching up um catching up with him He's got a lot of great things to say. I'm going to have to go back and listen. I don't listen to my own episodes. I'm self-conscious about hearing my voice, hearing myself interview but I probably will go back and listen to this episode and uh, retake in all the information. Um, if you'd like to help support the podcast in a monetary way, you can do so at patreon.com slash S-Y-D-O-W. For as little as $3 a month, um, you can help give this thing wings, baby. I put up exclusive content both for the podcast and for my music career. If you can't help out in a monetary way, no worries at all. A quick uh, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast is a huge help. Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can send them to me, middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening, and uh, I can't wait to catch up with you next week we